to hear the word of the Lord as we have it in the gospel according to Matthew in Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 to 46. And so I invite your uh, attention with reverence and joy uh, to the reading of God's word. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And take him with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and he said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Uh, there is in the Oval Office of the President of the United States a desk named the Resolute Desk after uh, the timbers of uh, HMS Resolute. A reminder that many resolutions, I am sure, are made at the President's desk. place of resolve. We need uh, a man of great resolve. Uh, and yet, the greater place of resolve is uh, the cross. As we watch our Savior engage in uh, the passion, it's interesting to me as he goes to the passion, he really goes by himself. It's a bitter calling. All of us uh, struggle with difficulties in life. We generally have people around us, friends, colleagues, family. Uh, our Lord's engagement in preparation with the Passion is a solitary event. His uh, three trusted disciples cannot uh, even pray with him. But it's a place of uh, resolution where he goes to resolve to hammer out uh, his will to be submissive to the will of God the Father. It's a legacy for us. We watch him make resolution, but really beckons us all to come forward 
and to resolve to do the will of God. What might those uh, resolutions be for each of us in our ministry in the church, service to our community, to our families? Again, uh, our Lord prepares in resolve for the passion of the cross. And of course, preparation for resolve is uh, essential in light of the times. Passion, he's going to shed his uh, blood. Uh, more broadly, in my own mind, it is the fury of the end time tribulation breaking on Christ and soon to break upon his church. Uh, it's captured uh, here in the word uh, of uh, verse uh, 41, Matthew uh, 26. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Now, more broadly, the word temptation can also be uh, understood in terms of testing, the crucible of testing, or the passion of the cross. But it breaks out again, not only upon our Lord, uh, but upon the church at large. Uh, for example, at Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, uh, we read. Christ, that he's going to be led into the wilderness to be tempted or tested by the devil. Well, that really encompasses all of us, where all of us are going to be tested or tempted by the devil. It's going to sift us. And so we find in our Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation or lead us not into testing, but deliver us from evil. It's a prayer for the entire church. Our Lord is going to be tested in the most intense manner possible, but all of us have the prayer, lead us not into to testing, but deliver us from evil. Uh, it is captured here in the 45th verse, uh, something that I've referenced uh, often in the word hour. Uh, Jesus says as he sees uh, the test coming, the hour is near. In my own mind, uh, it's an echo of the Septuagint of uh, Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1. Uh, the Masoretic text reads at that hour, but again, Septuagint reads uh, uh, in that hour. Uh, instead of at that time, in that hour. And the context is a prophecy of a great time of distress. In fact, Daniel says never been anything like it in the world. And I think that's true when you consider what Christ is about to do at the cross. The greatest form of testing imaginable. And really unimaginable in terms of the sheer brutality of crucifixion. Uh, author of the book of Hebrews says we've all been tested, but not to the shedding of blood. Most of us. So Jesus begins the fulfillment of Daniel 12 and verse 1 on the cross. And the time of trouble is upon him. That's why he is preparing to steal his resolve as he goes to the cross. And resolve engages preparation. We oftentimes don't think in those terms. We just think we just wander through life, go hither and yon and willy-nilly, and yet Jesus is preparing for the great test that he will inaugurate tribulation that will break upon the whole church. He will face it first and foremost. 
but again, will shed to all of the church. I mean, we know this everywhere in the New Testament. John 16, 33 tells his disciples, in the world you will find, there he uses the word tribulation. It's the reason that the Olivet Discourse is so full of reminders for preparation, for watchfulness, and for readiness. Again, to steal the resolve in light of what all of us will face. I would tell you that really preparation for resolve is uh, continuous. Generally in our country, uh, we think of making resolutions on New Year's Eve. A month into the new year, we've probably forgotten them all. One of my most uh, hated time at the place where I go work, work out at the Northside Y is the first of the new year. You know why? This place is jam-packed. Give it a few months, I tell myself, and it'll be back to the normal, steady, small crew. And that's the way life is, isn't it? And that's why we are beckoned here uh, to prepare with resolve for times of testing. Because they eventually come. They eventually show up at our door and knock, desire entrance. Another reference to this fact is uh, the writing of the Apostle Paul. He doesn't use the word testing or temptation. He doesn't use the word tribulation. But his sense is just that. Ephesians uh, chapter 6. The Apostle uh, knows the dangers of time, so he tells the church to arm up and get ready. Why? Why should we arm up? Because the day of battle uh, is upon us. Uh, Again, Ephesians uh, chapter 6, the 13th verse. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm. I remember reading, I think it was in the Wall Street Journal, of uh, young soldiers in uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, I really can't recall, who, of course, it's a measure of ritual uh, when you go out on patrol, uh, put on body armor and knee pads and uh, carry a certain number of rounds of ammunition, fragmentary grenades, whatever they do. I, it's not something I ever engaged in, but simply read about it. But there was... A line in the article that really struck me that uh, they would carry half a dozen immediate compresses so that they were ever in an occasion where they lost a limb, uh, they could set their own compress to keep from bleeding out. It's incredible to me. Imagine going into battle carrying such equipment. Imagine that in the spiritual realm. And part of what we ought to carry is steel resolve to be faithful to Christ and to stand firm because the day of evil has broken upon us. That's why Paul uses those words, put on the full armor of God that you might be able to stand firm. That we ought to arm up in the Christian faith in regards to resolve, resolve of prayer, 
a resolve of faithful attendance at church, uh, engagement in ministry, however God has so gifted us. Because life is just not some stream that we throw ourselves into thinking that the current will carry us to the right place. It's a place of struggle, it's a place of testing, a place of temptation, and being resolute does not come to the unprepared, as we will soon see in the text. So this preparation to resolve to be faithful to Christ. Verses 36 to 39, Christ is going to prepare in prayer to steal his own resolve. And what we find in his resolve is the profound nature of the price that he is about to pay. And again, I remind you by way of application, there is a price that all of us have to pay in the faith uh, because of the battle uh, that surrounds all of us. He's going to prepare to meet the price by prayer. The crushing weight of the passion breaks upon the Savior as a violent wave. Uh, the word Gethsemane, by the way, is the word for oil press. It's very unique to me because I don't want to become liable of spiritualizing the text, but there's no question Christ is going to be pressed in a crushing way at the cross. He goes to pray, he takes Peter, James, and John with him. It's very unique that he takes those three. Uh, unique in my own mind because James and John, do you remember, uh, they, they were confronted by Christ. They wanted to sit at his right hand, and he said to them, can you drink the cup I'm, I'm about to drink? And they said, you bet. You know, bring it on. Serve it up. We can drink it. Of course, they don't, do they? Uh, it's one thing to make resolutions to be faithful to Christ. another thing to act upon them. When the price comes to be paid, that's when they turn back because they're all going to be scattered. Takes Peter. Peter says, Lord, I'm going to die for you. I'll, I'll never deny you. What, what's he about to do? It's the one thing to make resolutions like we do oftentimes in New Year's Eve. It's another thing to pay the price when the bill comes due. They're going to scatter and run. He goes to the passion alone. Uh, Jesus, uh, the text says, is grieved and greatly distressed, stating that my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow, even to the point of death. Christian living has a price. The legacy here beckons all of us uh, uh, to that legacy. In my own mind, uh, the distress of his soul is an allusion to Psalm 42. The 11th verse. Many of the psalms are lament psalms. The psalmist is in distress. Psalm 42, 11, one such. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you so disturbed within me? Now, the context is very interesting. Verse 1, as a deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. The psalmist has been separated from the place where God localized his presence in the tabernacle. And he has an incredible yearning to return. He's in distress. Jesus is about to fulfill the text in 
unprecedented intensity. Uh, he prostrates himself on the ground and prays the immediate content, may this cup be taken uh, from me. Again, I think that's an allusion to the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 51, again, speaks to a, a cup. Uh, Isaiah 51 and the 17th verse. Awake, awake, rise up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath. You who have drained its dregs, the goblet that makes men stagger. It's exactly what Christ is about to drink, the cup of the bitter dregs of the wrath of God, and he will drain the cup until there is nothing left in it. Verse 22, Isaiah 51, this is what your sovereign Lord says, your God who defends his people. See, I have taken out of your hand the cup that made you stagger. From that cup, the goblet of my wrath, you will never drink again. Uh, context of Isaiah is the judgment of the Babylonian captivity. It's a type now fulfilled by Christ in the most intense form possible. against a cup of the shedding of his blood to effect substitutionary atonement. That though he was innocent, he drank it for the guilty. Again, it's not the cup per se, it's the contents, uh, namely the wrath of God. We know it successively that it represents the price that he's about to pay, or the price of uh, a steeled resolve, uh, I mean, who vows to follow Christ without first considering the price, the cost? Because there is one. And that's why this occasion of preparation and prayer for a steeled resolve is so critical for us to understand. Uh, because it leaves to us a legacy uh, to follow, to keep, to preserve, to stand. And we will never drink the cup of the wrath of God, but we will, of course, uh, drink from the cup of discipleship of following him. Uh, Jesus, of course, is an expression of the gospel, will drink that cup so that we will never drink the cup of wrath. Uh, the punishment that uh, we deserve will be vented against him uh, who was totally undeserving and innocent, represents the gospel. Uh, if you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. That cup will, of course, uh, eventually be set before you. That's why in the Christian faith, we have a substitute who drank the cup in our place. And he drank it to its most bitter dregs. Uh, for us and for Christ, it represents the horror of the coming passion, including separation from God the Father, so that in the humanity of Jesus, he's shaken to his very core. You think of times in your own life where there's an event that happens that your, your confidence, your well-being is shaken to its very core. Christ is uh, undergoing that in the most intense form uh, imaginable. And that is why it's essential that we understand that what is he doing here in this place of Gethsemane? He's preparing to steal his resolve in light of the price. And preparation is the key to acting properly uh, in terms of resolve. 
in that sense, he is uh, the last Adam teaching us uh, by way of example. So resolve has, must have, ought to have a time of preparation. For us, we pray, we read our scriptures, we engage in uh, public affairs of church life uh, to steal our own resolve, uh, knowing that someday evil will knock upon our door. Uh, metaphor, the Apostle Paul, arm up. Keep your tourniquets close like our young soldiers in Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, the resolve is defined in his prayer, verse 39, verse 42, and verse 44. Uh, it's also publicly declared. Uh, let's look at some public declarations of the resolve of our Savior. Uh, John chapter 6, in verse 38. For I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And we are the legacy of Christ. Defines our own resolve to do the will of the Father. The Father. Uh, John chapter 12, 27th verse. Again, we're defining the resolve of our Savior and really our own resolve. John 12, 27. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. He prays, he catches himself, he resolves to do the will of the Father. Soon he's to act upon it. In the crucible of prayer with a price in substitutionary atonement, Jesus will bend his will to the will of of his heavenly Father, resolute submission to the will of God, not as I will, but as you will. Isn't that really part of the subject matter of uh, what we call our Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, the very essence of that prayer to submit our will to a higher authority and to a higher power and to a higher calling to do God's will at the expense of our own, I don't know, popularity, safety, well-being. Uh, not my will, but thy will be done defines the resolve for us in this time of prayer. That Jesus sells out to a higher duty, higher calling, irrespective of the price. For him, the price was everything. Uh, the, the, the submission is remarkable because uh, he too is God. He had all the rank and the privilege as God the Father, but he submits himself voluntarily to do the will of the Father. There's something of the price expressed in a very beautiful way by the author of the book of Hebrews. I find that interesting because the, the larger context of uh, the book of Hebrews is they're suffering persecution. It's too hard. Let's give up. Go back to our old ways. How many times do we act in just such a way? Let's go back to our old way of life. And the author writes to interdict them. 
He speaks to them of the sacrifice of Christ. Christ, Hebrews chapter 5, the seventh verse. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayer and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. So here the resolve of our Savior is buttressed by the three occasions of his prayer, not my will, but your will. Will the disciples uh, fail to prepare? And uh, so they become irresolute. Their resolve is going to break. Uh, we know in my earlier references that uh, several of them have resolved uh, to uh, go the distance, to pay the price, to die for the Savior, to drink the cup, but all of them fail. They're going to break. And again, there's a legacy here that we need to learn from. If you're not preparing at some point, you probably will break. If you're not engaging in the scripture and the public duty that we all have to the faith, we're not examining the precepts of God to understand what his will is, then we're sure to break. But they're going to become irresolute in the place of Gethsemane. Jesus comes back to them three times and he finds them sleeping. Again, defined somewhat by the entirety of the Olivet Discourse. Uh, be watchful, be ready, be prepared. Uh, he commands them to watch and pray in light of the weakness of the flesh and the coming testing. And this scenario repeats itself uh, three times. Verse 43, verse 45. Again, they misunderstood the severity of the times, and their lack of preparation is a reason for their impending failure. Again, there is something of discipleship where we count the cost. We prepare for the resolve that we must have. It's the way of man to dismiss the dangers of the time and to leave off praying for resolve. It's exactly what they do. It's simply the old saw that when you fail to prepare, you prepare to fail. And that's why they're going to give in and break the hour of testing. Soon they will scatter as a measure of their lack of resolve. Uh, but again, in the perfect storm, all of us can break, deny the Savior, turn our backs. Uh, sometimes in times of testing, we say it's not worth it. Christianity doesn't work. It's failed me at the point of my need. The point of our need is to serve God, be faithful, uh, to utter the same content of the prayer of our Savior, not my will, but thy will be done. Higher duty, higher calling, for self is displaced for the glory of God. That takes resolve, which takes prayer to steal the resolve. Understanding who we are as the fallen sons of Adam should humble us and press us to seek the grace of God in prayer. And again, it's the continuum of the spiritual engagements of the life of the disciple. Well, Jesus has made the resolve to do the will of the Father.
now his resolve is going to be tested. We make resolutions, they're eventually going to be tested, are they not? He's made his, not my will, but thy will be done. Look at Matthew chapter 26, the 46th verse. The hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. He goes to meet the test. Because that's the point of a steeled resolve buttressed by prayer. By and large, his disciples didn't have a clue as to what was about to occur. Sometimes neither do we. Sometimes the providence of God comes to frown upon us. Jesus arises to go meet the test. Again, it's a reminder of the extreme necessity of prayer in all of our lives. Because who can stand? That's why Paul says, arm up. In your kit, put some tourniquets. Because the day of evil has arrived. Put on the full armor of God. He is resolute because he prayed. They are irresolute because they did not pray. They would not watch and wait. Simply the way of the flesh. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so they break, leaving us a legacy. He does not break, leaving us a greater legacy. When I use the word legacy, what am I saying but that all of us follow those two paths? The immediate legacy of the disciples who are going to break or the greater legacy of Christ who goes to meet the test in the fullness of its intensity. There's something to remind you here, again, of the impeccability of Christ that as the God man, he could not fail, but in terms of the humanity of Christ, there was an extreme price, extreme suffering. I mean, in the Lucan account of his prayers, he says he, he shed great drops as if they were blood in the intensity of his prayer because they knew the intensity of the test. Remember one time a reading of the ministry of David Brainerd of the missionary to the Indians. He would go into the forest and pray for the Indians and it would snow and he would be oblivious to the snow and all about him because of the intensity of his prayer, the snow would melt. It's a reminder that there are great tests that take great resolve and resolve to be faithful, to act upon them properly takes great intense prayer. That's a lesson of the text. Two legacies, uh, men who don't pray, who fail, the God-man who prays and who will succeed. So resolve goes to the test. Arise, my betrayer comes. It is the reminder, of course, of our Lord's vicarious atonement. Uh, he subjects his humanity to most cruel form of, of a humiliation 
torture possible. The greater reality of uh, uh, what is occurring, of course, is that Christ's preparation and provisions include our failure to prepare properly. I mean, I've, if, you've, if you're like me, I've, I've learned I can't pray uh, in the late evening hours because I'm going to do what <laughs> Peter, James, and John do. I'm simply going to fall asleep. Now, I know that you're greater than that and you go the distance, but I just tell you my own weakness. But, but again, uh, the day of evil has come. Lead us not into temptation or testing. In the world you have tribulation. The preparations of Christ are going to sweep us all into success. It's a greater measure of uh, what it means to be numbered among the people of God. Uh, as you know, he's going to recover them from failure. There's a measure that grace is a divine provision that is given to our Lord in this time of, of torment. That really falls to all of us as well. In the Lucan account, we read that an angel from heaven appeared, strengthening him. Luke twenty-two forty-three, 43. He's in Gethsemane. He's praying. An angel from heaven comes to strengthen him. Reference to the humanity of Christ, the incredible crucible that he's about to face. Again, in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1, uh, the text reads that Michael will arise, the great archangel will arise. Arise to do what? To help the people of God. If that is indeed a setting in motion, the end time tribulation, then all of us have the comfort uh, that uh, the great angelic force will arise to help the people of God. Daniel goes on to say in 12.1 to deliver, to deliver the people of God that Michael, the protector of the people of God, will arise, stand with the people to deliver them, to help them, that heaven provides for the saints in tribulation and angels are part of that provision to effect deliverance. We've seen that in the ministry of our Lord. He goes to the time of testing in the wilderness and after he has vanquished Satan uh, with the word of the Lord, uh, the angels come to minister to him. The divine messengers play crucial roles all along the way of our deliverance. Numbers chapter 20, verse 16, the people cried to God in Egypt, and God sent an angel to deliver them. My, uh, my favorite is uh, Psalm 34 in the seventh verse. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. In the crucible of testing, angels show up to help Christ. In the crucible of our testing, angels come to help. Because he begins uh, the end time deliverance of all of his people and never leaves them alone. 
I know all of us are tested in life. Sometimes we feel profoundly alone, but if you're a Christian, you're never really alone. The words of our Savior, I will never leave you, I'll never forsake you. Lo, I am with you always. And now we know that one of the ways that he is with us is in the great host of the armies of heaven come to encamp about us. It's one of the reasons that we ought to be steeled in our resolve, because God doesn't leave us alone. He comes, angelic host. Uh, the greater provision, as you know, is a prayer that our Lord has previously prayed before this time in Gethsemane. High priestly prayer, uh, John 17. Jesus really says, uh, as a synopsis of the entire prayer, is, Father, you've given them to me. I protected them. Now I give them back to you for your protection of them. The greatest reality of that prayer is it's a prayer that's going to be answered because Christ loses none of those given him by the Father. Prayers for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Prayers for the protection of the church. Prayers for fruitful witness are always going to be answered. Here Christ prays for his disciples. We know in the latter part of the prayer, he sweeps the entire church of God into the prayer, meaning that we will be kept by the power of God. Again, John chapter 17, the 11th verse, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am uh, coming to you, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. While I was with them, none were lost except the doomed to destruction so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. Verse 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but you, that you protect them from the evil one. In other words, uh, the point of that line in the prayer is don't remove them from the world, but make them come through the time of testing successful. Protect them in the time of testing in the world that they might emerge successful. That prayer is going to be answered. Protect them from the evil one. Now, we're sealed by the providence and the grace and the power of God so that we cannot fail. That in and of itself ought to steal our resolve as we make resolution to be faithful to Christ in the continuum of spiritual duties. The president makes a desk out of a ship, HMS Resolve. You and I have a life fashioned after the cross to steal us in the time of testing, to secure our every success so that all of the benefits of the new covenant, including protection, accrue to us because of the cross. It's our reminder that the ultimate success that all of us have in the spiritual arena, including our entrance into heaven, is secured by Christ covenant of grace, but again, it is the reminder that as the humanity of our Savior was tested, we are going to be tested and all along the way protected and armed 
in the grace of God. Well, resolutions are easily made, as you know, often dismissed. It ought not to be so in the Christian faith. We ought to resolve to be faithful to Christ. Jesus steals his resolve in prayer and goes to the ultimate test. That's to be our legacy, to steal our resolve to be faithful in prayer and then to go meet the test. One of the greatest Christians and intellects uh, that has ever been blessed upon the American church was Jonathan Edwards. He had 70 resolutions. Very interesting to me that he had 70 resolutions. Uh, because as I, as I looked at them, I thought, how many have I made? <laughs> it's a reminder that he was a different man but he ought not to be different in the life of the church. We ought to make resolutions, be faithful to Christ. He read them often to steal himself, the greater calling of God. Jonathan Edwards stands in the legacy of Christ, Gethsemane. His 43rd resolution is this, resolve. Never henceforward till I die to act as if I were any way my own, but entirely and altogether God's. That legacy is ours. That we are not our own, that we have been bought with a price. We steal our resolve in prayer, in the scriptures, by arming up after the great messianic warrior of Ephesians chapter 6. The test will come, we go to meet the test. God is gracious to dispatch his angelic host. And of course, the entirety of our lives have been built and steeled by the cross itself. Let us be a church that uh, so resolves to be faithful to the doctrines of the grace of God, to be faithful in prayer, to be faithful in the sacraments, to be faithful to advance the kingdom of God, to be faithful to remember the succinctness of the prayer of our Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. I think that's the legacy of Gethsemane. It's a corporate one to be sure, an individual one as well. So this day, resolve in your heart to do the will of God, to learn that his will is higher than yours, to learn that he will deliver, keep, preserve, and let us so resolve in our hearts to be faithful and in the legacy of Christ to go meet the test with steel resolve, formed and fashioned on the anvil of prayer that God would keep us as he always will.